Welcome to In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. A new book takes a look at how easily our cloud-based smartphone, smart house, online, interconnected life can easily go awry with no warning. Author and cybersecurity expert Mark Goodman has spent his career in law enforcement and technology. I recently talked with Goodman about his new book, Future Crimes, Inside the Digital Underground and the Battle for Our Connected World. It was released earlier this year and is now available in paperback. I began my career as a beat cop with the Los Angeles Police Department and right on the side of our cars, it used to say, to protect and serve. And it was a mission that I and my fellow cops took quite seriously. But the fact of the matter is the world has moved on since I was doing foot patrol in the 80s and 90s. And now, while there are certainly risks in the physical world, uh, the general public has to manage a wide variety of risks in the virtual world. And frankly, law enforcement has not been there to help protect the average Joe. And so the threat has morphed and our protections haven't. And so that's what I'm trying to do with the book. I spent lots of time working as a police officer. I spent 10 years working with Interpol and various law enforcement agencies in the U.S. government. And what I see is an inability uh, of law enforcement to keep pace with the threat. And so I think people need to understand the risk so that they can help protect themselves. You open with a rather uh, chilling tale of a of a of a that some may be familiar with of a tech reporter who basically had his life vanish in front of him, his iPhone, his iCloud account, his his laptop, just simply because a hacker was interested or was fascinated with his with his with his Twitter handle. Do do most of us just um, live in 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 ignorance, or or is it just <laughs> denial, or? Are we just not aware of yes. what can happen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, is the short answer. I opened up uh, Future Crimes telling the story uh, from the Matrix, you know, the red pill, blue pill story. And, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, read this book, remember you're going deep into the dark world of uh, the red pill or the blue pill, and you won't be able to forget uh, what you've learned since. And I think that's kind of true. It's very easy to take all of this technology around us for granted. We take for granted in the United States that there will be electricity. Much of the world doesn't have that luxury. We take for it granted that there'll be radio and television, and that our mobile phones will work, that our cars will work when we turn them on, that the stock market will work. You know, we think all of these technological tools are infallible, but the fact of the matter is, is that they can all be hacked. There's never been built a computer system that could not be subverted. Never. It's just been a matter of time, attention, energy, and resources. And there are groups of individuals out there, whether it be world governments, terrorists, or organized crime groups uh, that operate around the world that have figured out how to take advantage of these technological tools, which kind of leaves the average person as a sitting duck unless they know how to protect themselves. You know, I was just thinking as some of my colleagues, uh, they have electrical tape over the uh, cameras on their on their laptops. Uh, a couple of my colleagues turn off their uh, turn off their Wi-Fi. Well, <laughs> one colleague that put tosses his phone in a Faraday bag whenever he's just out and around, and maybe we're just paranoid lot. But I, <laughs> those are my people. You are my people. <laughs> does does any of that though? As I think about it, and I read about how just how in, insidious and how um, just almost invisible some of of this type of know, criminal activity, I guess, can be. 
Uh, is that just a false sense of, of security, those simple little goofy things that a lot of people just do out of maybe paranoia? <laughs> well, let's break down those goofy things, as you call them, and say why people might be doing it. So for the general public who don't realize why somebody in a newsroom would put tape, you know, black electrical tape over their camera, I, I will say first I do the same thing. And it's <laughs> for the following reason, is that whether or not you realize that your camera can be hacked at a distance and somebody can record you without you knowing about it and know the little red or green light on your laptop or mobile phone won't go on. Of course, that's just uh, software coding and that can be disabled. And there was a story in the book about uh, Ms. Cassidy Wolf. She was Miss Teen America, a 16-year-old girl, beautiful, who had won the Teen America contest. And one day she's sitting at her laptop in her bedroom and she gets an email and the email contained uh, 20 photographs of her completely naked in her own bedroom. And there was a message attached that said, you have to have sex with me online over the camera or I'm going to release all of these naked photographs of you to all of your classmates and all of your social media friends. So, of course, the young woman panicked. She slammed, closed her laptop. And fortunately, she did the right thing, in which case she told her parents, who then brought in the FBI and initiated an investigation. And here's what they found. Of course, the young girl had done absolutely nothing wrong. She had somebody who was infatuated with her. He sent her an email. She clicked on the wrong thing. That got a piece of malware onto her laptop. And then surreptitiously, the criminal was able to control her camera. And all she did was walk out of the bathroom from her in her own home from the bathroom to her bedroom. And as she was getting changed, the criminal was able to snap these photographs and try to extort her for sex. By the way, there are many, many teens who succumb to these types of blackmail threats. So a simple little step like that may seem paranoid, but you know the cost of doing it is nil and the protection is high. I know myself, the one thing I do do, I, I turn off my Wi-Fi typically whenever I'm out in a public place and I'm not using what I would at least believe to be a secure, not using consumer Wi-Fi that are in a lot of stores. I don't know if that makes any difference or not, but I hate the idea of somebody tracking me as I walk from store to store, uh, potentially just because my Wi-Fi happens to be on. Well, that is a great thing to do. In Future Crimes, I actually created something called the Update Protocol, six steps to keep you safe, U-P-D-A-T-E, and those six steps can actually reduce your cyber risk by 85 and that's based upon research by the Australian Ministry of Defense. And the T in update protocol stands for turn off, right? You don't have to keep your computers on 24-7. And if you just think about it, every hour of the day your computer is connected to the Internet is another hour that somebody can hack you. So just turning off your computer at night or just simply turning off the Wi-Fi signal on your laptop or your desktop would reduce your cyber risk by 33% while you sleep. And with regards to companies or other people tracking you via your mobile phone, it is absolutely happening. Here's one famous example from Nordstrom's. Nordstrom's decided that they wanted to do micro-tracking of their customers. And by leaving your Wi-Fi on on your mobile phone, they were able to tell how much time you were spending in the you know underwear department versus sheets or perfume. And the only knowledge that people had that this was happening was about a six-inch sign on the wall of Nordstrom's as you walked into 
their store, something that obviously anybody could miss. And all that they said on the sign was, hey, in order to improve our customer experience, we'll now be tracking you via Wi-Fi. And so if you want to come in our store and don't wish to be tracked, turn off your phone or stay outside, which are two not great solutions. Um, so you're opting in just by walking around. So the more open ports you have on your phone, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, near-field communication, and the like, the more places you can be tracked and the more places that you can be hacked. So it's definitely a good idea in airports and elsewhere to keep all those ports off. It, you've alluded to it a, a little bit just in, in your career, but truly how is the, how is the face of, of cybercrime uh, changed. I mean, is it is it a, a teenager somewhere halfway around the world that's that's wreaking havoc, or uh, you know, we read about uh, China every now and then in in the news about about their cyber espionage and and, and the things that, that that they're doing there. How is it real? How has this changed? Well, the the nature and face of cybercrime has changed drastically over you know the past twenty or twenty five years. In the old days, mostly people who hacked did it for the lulls, for the fun to show that they can do it, kind of to demonstrate their own technological prowess. Today, that has changed completely. According to a study by RAND, over 70% of criminal hackers are associated with some sort of organized crime group, and that the average age of a cyber criminal is now 35. So this isn't a 17-year-old kid in your mom's basement. These are people who are actually making a living doing this. And so it's very much either done for financial gain, sometimes for personal gain, as was in the case of the hack against Miss Teen America, or it's done for purposes of espionage. But as our technology changes, the one thing that most people haven't yet quite realized is that it's not just about hacking your laptop or even hacking your phone. Your Xbox 360 can be hacked. Your Nest thermostat can be hacked. Your Samsung smart television can be hacked. Your light bulb from Philips Hue can be hacked. This is called the Internet of Things. And as computers kind of leave our offices and our home desk and come out into physical space, we're seeing more and more devices being transformed into information technologies. This is the so-called Internet of Things, and just one very simple device that we never had to worry about being hacked. Our automobiles are now becoming hackable. The average car today has over 300 microchips in it. This controls everything from your windshield wipers to your car radio to your GPS to the ADS brake systems, and those can be hacked. So if somebody hacks your you know, credit card, you get a new credit card, and you may lose a few bucks. If somebody hacks an automobile, people can die. And so the cyber threat is morphing into a three-dimensional threat, and that's something that neither law enforcement or the average technology user has quite yet understood. I was going to ask you, and you, you, you touch on it, or talk about a lot in the in the book, think about all the things that are, that are, that are up there. So many people rely on, on Google or Google Maps or other uh, GPS tracking devices to help them navigate and do just daily tasks that you know we used to do with a, with a map and a compass. It's so invasive. As we rely on this so much, it seems like there are just it's a it's a risk just multiplies exponentially as you think about all the possible ways that your life could be hacked and and not in a in a good way and not even not even really thinking about it. 
Well, you're right. I mean, this is why I say more connections equals more vulnerabilities. The companies that profit from these tools, you know, social media companies like Facebook and others, want to encourage your connections because the more you engage with their system, the more data they can collect about you, who your friends are, where you go, what your interests, hobbies, likes are, your family, social graph, uh, and the like. And that's more fodder for them to sell advertisers. So, you know, I say in the book that it, for all the 1.4 billion people that are using Facebook, uh, it's not quite a fair exchange. You're getting, you know, to post your photographs for free and free status updates, and Zuckerberg is worth $50 billion, right? He's worth $50 billion because every day, for hours and hours a day, 1.4 billion people are toiling away on Facebook which actually makes these 1.4 billion people the largest unpaid workforce in the history of the world. And they're generating tremendous economic output, just not for themselves. They get marginal utility from the program, and others benefit much more profoundly. So the system is rigged, and you could say that free was the original sin of the Internet, right? You pay, right? You don't get a car for free. You don't get, you know, dentistry for free. You don't get uh, food at the supermarket for free. And yet the allure of free is so tricky that people are easily um, buy into this. And the fact of the matter is none of these services are free. If you're not paying for it, guess what? You're not the consumer. You're the product. You're the thing that other people are selling. Facebook's real customers are its advertisers. You are the thing that Facebook is selling to others. So free is the most expensive price in the world, and buyer beware. All the businesses that, in, that encourage people to use e-commerce, for lack of a, of a better term, the banks and managing your credits and paying all of your bills online, just doing all of that electronically, or I'll be having discussions here at the university about you know, all the data that normally would be stored in our locally in our offices on our desktops now going to a, a cloud cloud server somewhere are are the businesses and the companies that are encouraging us to 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 do all of this and to be all connected and to have all of this circularity in terms of how we are interconnected are they doing what they need to do to try and and protect that information and that data i mean they tell us they are but from your experience, right. are they? Yeah, they tell us they are. I mean, it's fascinating. If you look at some of the large banks, I think I saw a statistic the other day that said companies like Bank of America are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on cybersecurity, as are all the major banks. So they definitely need to do that. And yet almost all the major banks have been subverted one way or the other. It's cost effective for them to have you transact in these new ways, right? Think about, you know, the legacy concept of writing a piece of paper check, and that needs to go from you to the grocery store, to the bank, to another bank, to another bank, all of these little pieces of paper being mailed around. So clearly that is expensive, and there are cheaper, more efficient ways of doing it. And, and that makes perfect sense, but uh, one also needs to be aware of some of these risks. Broadly, I think online shopping can be safe if you take – some simple steps. And here's something that most people wouldn't know. For example, use a virtual credit card number. Now, some of your listeners may be saying, what's a virtual credit card number? With some of the larger banks like Citibank, when you go to transact online, if you go to Citibank's website first, they will generate a one-time virtual credit card number that's only good for a few minutes. And then this way, you can use that. It Citibank can trace it back to your original credit card, but um, that credit card number expires in after five minutes. 
So if you use that virtual credit card number to buy something at Home Depot or Walmart, and then those two companies are hacked, nobody will ever be able to use that credit card number again. Uh, and Apple does something similar with Apple Pay. If Even though it sounds a bit scary to use your mobile phone for payments, they actually are never passing your actual credit card number to the merchant. What they're doing is creating a virtualized number, a token, if you will, and that is only good for that one and only transaction. So, yes, there are definitely risks out there, but there are some technologies coming along that can help make you safer. Talk about Apple Pay. Is that same technology similar that all of the mobile uh, devices are using that have their version of mobile pay, or is that no, just something that's No, they Apple? are not. And this is the, the real challenge and sadness for the computer is, or for the consumer is that some of these are really poorly implemented and very early versions of Google Pay uh, product uh, were in, in the Google marketplace were hacked, right? So uh, Google Pay uh, was hacked on numerous occasions, and there was some risk around that. So you really need to understand the underlying technology, which is quite sad for the average user because it's so complex. They cannot um, manage it all. There's just too much data, too much knowledge. That's, again, why I created the update protocol uh, available on futurecrimes.com. Just click on tips. And what I've tried to do is take this you know, world of hundreds of thousands of tips on cybersecurity and distill it into six simple steps the average person can take. Mark, now that, for, for at least for those who listen to this and hopefully get the book and, and, and read the book and, and um, uh, hopefully will continue to at least sleep at night, but know that it seems to me this is very pragmatic, not being necessarily pessimistic, but really <laughs> we need to be, as consumers, need to be aware of really how all this technology that that has just become a routine part of daily life interacts and, and, and works, and just it's, it's pragmatic that we need to, <laughs> need to know this. Absolutely. You know, I, I meet so often people who say, ah, technology, it's too complex. I can't understand that, right? Oh, it's I, how I can't. How could you possibly figure this out? You know, I've got nothing to hide, and if the Chinese want to hack me, that's fine. And it's easy to throw your hands up in desperation. But the fact of the matter is, a some of the most basic steps are pretty simple. Again, you know how to lock your door when you go to work in the morning. You know how to not leave your keys in the car when you drive to uh, to a particular mall. The same is true in cyberspace. Small steps can help protect you. And I'd like to say that you have a responsibility to do that, particularly if you are a parent, right? You wouldn't say, oh, I'm not going to worry about weirdos in the park coming after my ch children. That's the police job, or that's too complex for me, right? You would definitely do that. And you should obviously be doing the same in cyberspace to protect yourself and your family. And we, as a citizenry, have a responsibility to hold the people who create these tools responsible for their inventions because they're going to have major impacts on our world in our lives personally and as our society and we're going to need to make sure that those tools are built and distributed to the benefit of the greater good uh, for us all and that's not currently happening today this type of this type of crime i gather is probably not going to go away uh no in fact it's growing exponentially and the numbers are Phenomenal. We've just had our first billion-dollar bank heist, something called the Carbonac attack, right? So the money is so good, thieves are not going to, you know, give this up. No way. Billion dollars stolen from banks in uh, over 30 different countries, 100 financial institutions. According to Gartner, we're going to spend $100 billion 
in the next year trying to keep ourselves safe. And Juniper has estimated that global cybercrime will cost the economy $2 trillion by 2019. So the same way that technological advances are growing exponentially, so are the risks. And we need to take steps now to help avoid some of those bigger problems down the road. That's author Mark Goodman. His recent book, Future Crimes, Inside the Digital Underground and the Battle for Our Connected World, is now out in paperback. In the author's voice is an original web series of WSIU Radio. I'm Jeff Williams.